Getting Inclusive, a podcast dedicated to spreading the cues for building healthier relationships with ourselves, our partners, and our peers. Cues, or Community Empowerment Services, is an ever-developing organization based on Long Island, run by me, Dina. Each episode, I'll be touching in on a new topic focused on social change and laying the pavement towards preventing future instances of power-based personal violence. Lean in and let's get inclusive. And welcome to this week's episode of Getting Inclusive. My name is Dina, and today I have a super special guest. I know every week that I say it's a really special guest, but this one is like extra special. She came all the way from Copenhagen just for this (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Okay, I'm kidding. She did not come here from Copenhagen, but she happens to be visiting from Copenhagen. She originally is from, obviously, the United States. Um, Her name is Erica Serino. She is going to introduce herself because she knows herself best. So, Erica, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? What are you passionate about? Well, thanks for having me, Dina. Yeah, of course. I kind of did come in part for this because, (laughs) I mean, like, friends are so important, and that was a major reason I came back. Actually, I think the main, main impetus was that three years ago, my friend Justin from college, I went to Stony Brook University here on the island. Um, My friend Justin, he was having a birthday party and he pulled me aside. We're walking down the streets in Queens and he was very drunk (laughs) (laughs) and he started crying. And I was like, Justin, why are you crying? And he like pulled me aside and was just saying, I'm going to propose to my girlfriend and I'm really nervous, and I just want you to promise me no matter where you are in the world that you'll be at my wedding. And so I made a drunken promise, and I could not break it, so I came back for him. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. What a good friend you are. Look at you. Well, you know, I can't break that. Uh, So anyway, that that gave you a little bit about me. So I have a friend named Justin who just got married. Uh (laughs) I went to Stony Brook, um, and I grew up on Long Island. But yeah, I'm a twenty now twenty seven year old. Oh my god! Yeah, just turned twenty seven. <laughs> it's Taurus season. <laughs> well, it just became Gemini season, which is a real fucking drama. Oh my gosh! Right? <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, twenty seven. I'm living in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, I am a science writer and artist. Um, so I basically go on adventures for a living and write stories about wildlife and the environment. I take photos. That's my main art. But I also do collage, painting, drawing. I like the creation side of life. <laughs> um, so I love to, um, you know, also give lectures. And Dina, you came to my lecture last night and I was so happy. I think Aww. I like was beaming with pride and I totally missed my college advisor who was sitting right behind you and then she looked so disappointed. <laughs> but then I acknowledged her too and I, yes, it was all yes. good. Um, yeah, so my main focus now is plastic pollution Mm -hmm. because it's an issue I've known about for, you know, decades, literally. Um, And it just relates so much to wildlife, climate change, and so many of the problems we're facing today. So I, you know, focus on that. Um, I've been sailing twice across the Pacific Ocean looking for plastic. um, And that's where I met my Danish friends. And now I'm living in Denmark because, uh, you know, when you date a sailor and then you have (laughs) many Danish sailing friends, you just like, they become family. Yeah. That's so cool. So cool. I'm so happy that you're here and that you could make it um, to record. This is like such a gift for me, for real. Um, And I think it's really, really important that you're here because you're from such a important part of like the changes that are going on in the world. And while like this, obviously this podcast is like focused on rape culture, you know, I'm like all about the intersectionality of issues going on and social issues, but also environmental issues and how important they are. Um, So today is going to kind of be a little bit different than what we usually do, I think. Um, We're obviously going to be talking about rape culture, but we're also going to be talking about things like the changing environment and how that's impacting our behaviors, Um, some like eco-grief, talking about empathy, all different types of things. So I'm I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, so what kind of got you interested in the work that you're doing? What was, was there like a spark? Did you like feel something and you were like, yes, like this is it. What was it for you? 
So now I'm realizing we were just talking earlier about childhood traumas and how we're ending up as adults. (laughs) And um, it was a very enlightening conversation, but um, I've always related very closely to wildlife and animals. Um, I've had pets since I was a kid. I worked in a wildlife hospital since I was 15 until I was 22. And I love that job. I was like hands on hawks and owls and turtles and possums, giving them first aid um, for their eventual release into the wild. So I'd provide this like critical care to them in the times they needed it most. A lot of animals died in my hands and I was realizing, oh my gosh, so many of these animals are in this hospital setting because they've been hurt by humans. Either they've been abducted by a person that was well-meaning, but just, you know, picked them up off the street thinking they needed help um, and they really didn't. Or um, they ate plastic, they ate a fishing line, they got stuck in, in a plastic net or whatever. Um, they got hit by a car. There were all these problems that humans created. And it was like, could I prevent these problems before treating the symptom of the problem, which is like a hurt or sick animal? Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized I could use my creative skills because I've, I've always loved writing. I've always loved art. Um, my whole family, they go back artists like quite many, many generations. My brother is an artist too. Um, so it was just natural for me to gravitate towards the arts. And so I thought, okay, journalism, but I will never sit in a newsroom because I am the most anti person <laughs> in the world. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I think that my grad school, um, final course professor, he kind of saw, oversaw our capstone projects. I ended up going, uh, changing course when I was studying at Stony Brook, I was very biology focused and like uh, wildlife rehabilitation focused. And then I changed to science journalism. So I got my master's and um, my advisor and final course professor, they both agree. They're like, Erica will never sit in a newsroom. She's going to be off the grid in like a yurt somewhere in the desert talking about wildlife. (laughs) And that's like exactly what I did. (laughs) Um, That's great. Yeah, (laughs) That's really, really cool. And I love that intersectionality of, yeah, you were really interested in journalism, but also wanted to take the arts in that direction too, to do something with the two. Um, I think that's incredible. And I love the work that you're doing and I like I always like follow along on Instagram. I'm like a huge like fangirl. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I um what I really liked, so I went to I know Erica mentioned it a couple minutes ago, but last night I went to her talk at a local library about her trip to the Pacific and talking about like the 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 plastic like barge Garbage patch. Garbage patch. Garbage patch. Um, And what I found really interested, and I realized why I'm so, like, invested in the work that you're doing, is we both are so focused on prevention. Right. And I think that's where we overlap, is, like, we see that there's this huge issue, and in completely different fields. Like, I'm talking about, like, rape culture, and you're talking about, like, really environmental, like, destruction um, via plastics and microplastics. And they're so, so different, but in a lot of ways, they intersect. And we're both so focused on, like, okay, the problem exists, so, like, how do we stop it from happening? Like, yes, like, talking about the issue and raising awareness is really important, but, like, how do we get people to change their behaviors so we can, like, move forward and see, like, real change? And I think it all comes down to, like, changing the system. Like, the systems as they are currently, as they stand, are just not suitable. Not for us as humans, not for the environment, not for animals, like, not for our ecosystems. Like, it is just not working. And, like, I'm just gonna (laughs) once again put a <laughs> no, <laughs> put capitalism on blast. Yes. I'm just gonna say it. Like I really think I don't think I know that if we want to see any real change, we're gonna have to change the way that our economies are structured because this is just not suiting us at all. Not at all. Um. So yeah. So <laughs> a very passionate uh, beginning to yes. this episode. Just <laughs> jumping right into it. Um. So yeah. Um, the other reason, obviously, why I had you here is, like, you've always been, like, super, super, like, communicative and, like, always talking about, like, what I'm posting on cues. And I know that rape culture is something that definitely, like, sparks interest for you. Um, so because you're such a traveler and you're always out and around the world doing amazing things that I could never do. Um, you could have do you, it. <laughs> thank you. I definitely could not live in a yurt. I would 100%. I would die. Um, also, <laughs> Erica has been on like several sailing trips where she doesn't see land for like 20, 30 days at a time. Yeah. Like, 
I wouldn't survive. <laughs> I would I would not make it. I would be sobbing. Um, she was telling this amazing story about like having to like use the bath like the bathroom on the boat <laughs> last night and it's just like a bucket and the boat is like going from side to side and you're in plain view of all your sailor friends. It's true. No way in hell would you catch me doing that. Oh, no way. And I'm not like a, a big luxurious person, but like so back to my question in all of your travels have you picked up on do you believe that rape culture is just a culture that exists in like one area do you think that it's something that's widespread and is like it intersects with other cultures like what are your kind of thoughts on rape culture like from a global perspective I guess it's such a good question. So globally, <laughs> I think rape culture is everywhere, but it presents itself in many different ways. And you've traveled to Spain and Europe, mm-hmm. and um, there it differs. I mean, in Scandinavia, people are pretty controlled. It's not overt. You know, there's a lot of kind of subtle cues that you might notice that are, um, you know, leading to rape culture. Mostly things people say that are not, like, overtly aggressive. Okay. Like, I'm in New York City yesterday, and five guys don't hesitate to say, oh, I'd I'd tap that, Mm -hmm. like, in front of my face. And one guy, actually, I was walking just down a block, and there was a a man in front of me. He didn't not even know I was behind him. And another man was coming towards us, and he said to that man are you banging that girl? And I was like, excuse me. What? Exactly, because we were like the only ones on this block. Yeah. And I'm like, that's who I'm, he's talking about is me. Like, it's just so disgusting. And I, you know, I just kind of, I flipped him the bird and I just yep. said, screw it. Like, why? I don't get it. I'm, I'm not going to get angry about it. I'm just going to say, like, he's not, he doesn't get it. And yeah. we have to change that. That's like the main thing is that the, like the culture itself is, insidious it's everywhere it presents in different ways but it's still there yeah um italy oh my god not a great place (laughs) (laughs) really yeah that was also for catcalling specifically catcalling specifically um also kind of like manipulation i was in rome two years ago i went to italy uh, more recently to naples but in rome a man actually tried to like get me to go into his car with him to go for a drink of wine. And I was like, no thanks. And I literally had to run. And I was like 24, 25. Yeah. That's screwed up. Yeah. And that's yeah. really traumatic for someone who's traveling. And that's, it's so, it's so not fair. And I know that like a lot of young women who are travelers have had really similar experiences right. and you know, you're not alone and it's, it's just scary. And it like, is. I've had very similar experiences. And when I lived abroad, like most of my friends went through something like that. And it's sad because we're like, yeah, we all, and I think that's what like the Me Too movement has kind of brought to light is right. like, we're all in this together, but like, okay, now what do we do? Exactly. Like, and I know that there are, there's a big push to like raise awareness and raise awareness, but like going back to like, we need to prevent this. Right. And I've been thinking a lot recently and I've had a lot of like free time um, because I've been out of work and I've been thinking a lot about like, where, re- like, where is this all stemming from? And I think a lot of it is like systemic oppression. Mm. I think it goes back, but more so than anything, I think it is how we're raising like our kids and mostly how we're raising young boys. Exactly. Um, And I think their behaviors and then the way that they are taught to interact with other kids and, and, and especially like like young girls, um, it really sets the stage for like future violent behaviors to come. Right. And it's, it's not even in these big, like, obvious ways it's more like silent things that we're not paying attention to like putting gender expectations on boys and making them feel like they have to be strong and that they can't show um emotions like that's huge and that affects them their whole lives and i've talked about this episode after episode Mm. really hoping that the right listener hears and there's a click and they're like okay i can't do this you know i can't raise my kid like this i need to make sure that they feel comfortable enough to express themselves but it does affect you later in life and you know i think that is something that happens across cultures and for me personally when i was living in spain i really noticed that like men are they're closer there like i it's hard to explain like they're not afraid to 
show affection to their other male friends. Mm. Here, I feel like it's like, oh, your bro is like no homo. You know, yeah, like there's yeah. this like unspoken code where like you just you don't talk about your feelings. You just talk about like, you know, sports and, yeah. you know, getting ass <laughs> and like, you know, like it's like they don't have real in-depth conversations. It's true. And when I talk to, like, my partner about this, he's, I ask him, like, you know, I asked way earlier in our relationship when we had our, like, first kind of, like, fight. I, you know, I went and I spoke to my girlfriends about it. I was talking to all my friends, like, oh, like, can you believe this? And, and, like, talking through it and asking their perspective. I asked Rob after, like, a week had passed and, like, things were, like, settled. Right. Did you talk to anyone about this? Not one person. No. They no one. They just internalize exactly. everything. And where do those feelings go? Right. They go somewhere. Right. And I think not only is it, like, making it worse for, like, violence against women and violence against, like, trans folks and non-binary folks and femmes in general, I think it's also making it, like, a lot worse for them and for their mental health. It is. And we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. Um I think that, like, men have such a silent struggle with mental health, and they're so afraid to open up. And women are so much more likely to reach out to a, a therapist or a friend and ask for help than mm. a man is. And right. it's just, it's heartbreaking. It, it is. really is heartbreaking because men, women, femmes, trans, whatever, whoever you are, you deserve help. But right. It's, it's about, like, taking that first step, and that can be really scary for someone who's been socialized to feel like they can't feel. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sorry to kind of go off on no, a tangent. No, it, but... it does start so young. <laughs> yeah. Like, these patterns are established so early on, and the sooner you break them, the better off when you're an adult. Like, I think we're all learning this now in our mid-20s, <laughs> mid-late yeah. 20s. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's insidious, so yeah. we do have to address it. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. That's the way every day goes, every time we've no control. If the sky is pink and white, if the ground is black and yellow, it's the same way you showed me. Nod my head, don't close my eyes, halfway on a slow move. It's the same way you showed me. You could fly, then you'd feel south Up north, getting cold soon The way it is, we're on land So I'm someone to hold true Keep you cool when it's still alive Won't let you down when it's all ruined Just the same way you showed me Showed me You showed me love Thank you for sticking around. Sorry, I kind of, that was like out of nowhere. They're like, all right, we're going to take a quick break. I actually didn't know if I was recording. Just had a little, uh, <laughs> I had a little heart attack because I was like, this is good information. <laughs> okay, so um, we're going to kind of get into a little bit more on why Erica is here specifically um, and talking about how the changing environment, like the actual environment, not like just the social environment, um, but how our environment impacts our behaviors. How is like, you know, climate change and like global warming and pollution, like how are all these things affecting us as humans? Uh, not in a good way. That's like the <laughs> short answer. Um so I've been traveling the world for the past, oof, it's been four years since I finished grad school. That's a long ass time. I can't wait to be there with you. I know. It's, it'll come soon. Yes. It goes fast. Um, maybe not when you're in grad school, you feel like it's interminable. But yeah. yeah, when you're out, it's like, holy shit, I'm a real person. <coughs> so I have been traveling the world um, collecting eyewitness testimony on the front lines, most, mostly on plastic pollution. But on all different types of issues. I mean, I've traveled to kind of be a voice for the endangered orcas of the Pacific Northwest. I've gone to the um, Southwest to go look for endangered wolves and kind of be their voice. I did not find them there, um, but there, <laughs> there were that few of them, which is very sad. Aww. Yeah. Um, but all the way, learning all these things, uh, collecting this eyewitness testimony, it is not easy coping. Uh, 
often I would come up with these kind of depressive feelings. Um, but what kept me going was that I was actually working to, you know, deliver these stories and I do feel like they're necessary. So I did have a sense of purpose. Um, but what I'm finding with people that are maybe not working in the environmental field, even those that are, um, just people are getting overwhelmed. They're getting kind of, um, this kind of defeated feeling where, oh, it's going to all go to shit anyway. So it does not matter if I use plastic forks or a plastic water bottle every day or whatever. And, you know, they just put that on the back burner, don't think about it. Um, and it's leading to the further destruction of our environment. Um, meanwhile, like in very developing nations where, you know, every ounce of wheat that you can grow or rice really matters for global health um, and survival, um, climate change is forcing like these mass, mass famines because people just simply cannot grow or live the way that they used to. So it's and people are migrating. So it's leading to these clashes also now between race wars. And I was just talking earlier with you and Rob about uh, Copenhagen lighting up a few weeks ago mm -hmm. um, because there's now a right-wing movement um, with this capitalist push and people that have immigrated there from the Middle East are being oppressed. And man, the environment is such a big driver in this because people cannot live where it is too hot. Yeah, And climate change is... That is the number one issue of our time. Yeah. Um, plastic pollution is linked because uh, plastic is made out of petroleum. That's like our traditional plastic. Now we have all these bioplastics, but traditional plastic is made out of petroleum. What is fueling climate change? Well, the burning of fossil fuels. Um, so it's all linked. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we're finding that this hotter world is just making everyone kind of hot and bothered. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. I mean, like... We've seen such a huge rise in mental health issues, and a lot of people think it's because now there's more attention to it, so more people are out there being upfront about their mental health issues. But I think more than anything, it's, I mean, environment plays a huge role. I think technology also plays yes. a huge role. Yes. Um, but our shifting and our, the increase in people with anxiety and depression and panic and that has a lot to do with the environment around us. And I think it's so sad because for me personally, going through a healing process and having a really traumatic experience with mental health and kind of it hitting out of nowhere, seemingly, um, a big healer for me was the environment. Right, nature. Nature. Being out in nature is the best thing for my mental health. Like just taking a walk around the block, even in suburbia, right. just being right. outside and hearing the birds. And even when it's cold out, just going outside and feeling the fresh air. And to have that being threatened in so many different directions, exactly. too. Yeah. Um, it's it's really sad. It's heartbreaking. And it's, it's going to be really scary. It's going to be really telling when things get really bad, which we were saying before. In the Oof. next, like, 30 years, there's going to be a huge shift. Unless we're doing, like, major, major change, like... We would have to turn off all the lights right now. <laughs> and throw, like, stop making plastic water bottles and stop yeah. uh, eating pesticide-laden food. And, like... Yeah. It's a it's a huge collapse of the environment. On, it is. On all levels. And I love what you said about being in nature because humans are a part of nature. And we often forget that mm -hmm. because now we're behind our phones, we're at our desks, we're on computers all day. Um, but we are animals. We are fucking primates. Like, yeah. let's not forget that. And, um, that's something that I really link up to this fact that we're all animals because I just relate so well to wildlife because I've been betrayed by humans. So I <laughs> gravitate towards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I and mean, so many people do. So many and, do. And think about like, when we're thinking about like therapy, a lot of therapy, like we talk about like therapy dogs exactly. and therapy animals and like. I went to the petting zoo this week and like I don't I saw that I like Instagram. don't really like condone zoos because I don't like the containment of animals, but I love a good goat a zoo. Good goat. <laughs> <laughs> I just went and I fed all these baby goats and when I tell you like it was just such a healing release for me. And to think that like all of those like ecosystems and environments are being threatened and as humans we're always trying to figure out like how to improve things, how to improve things and I feel like we're missing this giant yeah, piece. We are. We're ignoring it and we mentioned this earlier and I, I think that there's not, there can't be a big shift under the current 
like system of capitalism because it's not profitable it's to not be profitable environmentally friendly. No. It's not profitable to try and help save our ecosystems. Um, and in the news this week, and this was something you mentioned yesterday, um, they found plastic at like the deepest, like the deepest level of um, which which ocean? The which, Mariana Trench. So yes. this is like a very, very, very deep. It's seven miles down. Yeah, they found plastic down there. Yes. Like we are affecting the planet to its like deepest core. Seriously. It's it's so scary to think about, and the fact that like. There are so many social issues out there that people are so pressed on and it seems so overwhelming and daunting and like pollution and environmental change are one of the things on the list that people are like, oh, and that's just like another thing. But it's like, no, you don't understand. If we don't change this thing, everything else isn't going to mean anything because we're not going to exist. We can't live at all. We can't live. And it's interesting to see how I'm really interested to see how this is going to affect, honestly, how this is going to affect rape culture, how this is going to affect our ability to maintain healthy relationships. Well, ironically, we have, I'm thinking about earlier, again, we had like an hour long talk before this. So there are things (laughs) I know I kept thinking like, we need to save this. We need to save this content. (laughs) Seriously, though. But thinking about accountability Mm -hmm. in relationships is a huge thing. Yep. And being able to say, I'm sorry, I screwed up, and this is how I will move forward. I've created a path forward, and I believe, based on what I've learned from my mistakes, it is the right thing to do. We have to do the same exact thing with the environment. Say, acknowledge, this was our mistake. I think this is the best way to move forward. Just make a decision. Try it. Go forward. See what happens, because there's no time to waste, because we are seriously running out of time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, like, such a heavy, like, a heavy feeling and something you have to deal with all the time. And, you know, you're really focused on the prevention and doing that work and you're all over the world. And how in the hell do you self-care? How do I self-care? Oh, my God. How do you cope with this? Like, it's such a heavy feeling. And, you know, like, in the social work field, like, we're always talking about self-care. But is there a push at all in your field? Like, do people openly talk about this? And is it something that is actively kind of used? It's not talked about enough. Mm -hmm. And actually, when I get back in Denmark, I'm going to go back on Tuesday. Uh um, I have kind of an event to attend that my new friend Madeline Kate, who is half Irish and half Danish, is hosting. And it's all about how to be kind of um, an environmental voice. So we kind of consider ourselves, we don't want to be self-promoting because uh-huh. this is like again with our uh, relationship talk and like thinking about ourselves as individuals like this is a larger problem and we really have to acknowledge too that we have to start working together because mm-hmm. it's just it's going to be too late before long um yeah so she organized this event for other people like who like myself uh work in the field of environment and um she hears she works on climate change specifically um but everyone from all over the board mm-hmm. and we're all going there and talking about what we do to actually take care of ourselves and cope because we have reached a level where most of us agree there is no hope. Yeah. And, you know, you think of religion and belief. Many people do hold on to hope of some sort because otherwise, you know, life can be really difficult. Yeah, of course. Um, but then being real and just saying, hey, now, there is no hope is a radical thing. But I kind of lately have been really embracing it and like saying, hey, I really believe this. But you know what? I'm not going to let it overpower me. I don't need hope to make me wait longer. I think often we, when we have hope, we delay the solution or we delay an attempt, um, you know, relationships too. Like, I have a really great boyfriend. His name is Fred. Mm-hmm. He's half Danish <laughs> and half Spanish. And for a long time, uh, you know, I would hope for things to change because, um, you know, we were having some difficulties. and I, And I would just kind of wait. And I was like... I'm getting tired of waiting. What is going on here? And then I stopped and said, let me identify the problem. It was me. <laughs> it's, it's not him, it's me. <laughs> um, and I did some really deep digging and things are so good now because I acted. I identified the problem. I acknowledged it and said, I can't hope anymore. I have to do something. It's the same with our environment. We have to do something. Um, so yeah, if you want to talk about specific self-care, uh-huh. Um, I make sure I run good, and good. I'm active every day. I yep. go outside every day, even if it's just for half an hour, um, because often I'm working, I'm in a lot of meetings inside, but part of my job is being outside. And that's why I love being, um, you know, this that's freelancer great. that I can just travel and be outside on a boat for 
Mm -hmm. weeks. It's crazy. (laughs) Um, I eat very healthfully. I try to take care of my body. Um, Recently, I got into a funk and I started, I had a few cigarettes and I was like, no, 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 stop. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to ruin your flow. Um, So I stopped. It's good. Um, Yeah. And then I make sure to make a lot of time for community and friends. Because I think that is something that we don't do enough of uh, mm-hmm. in person, like the the in face-to-face interactions. But also, I think interactions online can be valuable so long as the tone is kind of this more positive thing. Because often we hide behind our phones yes. and we'll vent and we'll vent to friends. And it's like, if you were in person, you wouldn't be sitting there complaining about everything. Yep. I mean, you would realize after reading your friend's facial expressions... This is not serving her or him yeah. or they like it yep. just it doesn't it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard. And I think like our age too. like I feel like your late 20s. It's so easy to feel overwhelmed by your life and what's going on and your job and the social issues that you're taking on. And all of that seems like really heavy and you're always busy. Right. And so it's easy to fall into the pattern with your friends or community of kind of like venting to each other. Exactly. And it's just so important to remember to like you know, empower yourself, empower others, and make sure there's, like, a sense of support there. Right. Um, and not just the constant, like, venting on each other, which, you know, there is definitely a time and place, and I definitely vent to my friends, and it's necessary sometimes. It is. It's yes. totally necessary, but um, that's great that you make time for yeah. self-care, and you know, like, your coping strategies, and yeah. that's huge. That's definitely huge. It's huge saying that, also, I lost my best friend, my dog, last year. Fusa. Fusa. <laughs> she was this amazing like therapy dog that I did not even believe was a therapy dog when I got her 10 Aww. years ago. Um, and I didn't know how I'd make it through without her. Mm-hmm. But I got through a whole year without my dog. That's amazing. It was amazing. It was miraculous, actually, because like at the time when she was passing away, I could not even imagine. I was like so stressed out. I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. This is going to be horrible. I'm going to not be able to cope. Um, because petting a nice dog or like talking to her or taking her for a walk, that was the way that I coped. Um, yeah, but I developed other ways and now I'm like exploiting my human community more as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's like a very wide variety of friends. And I think that that's also key is keeping your horizons very broad because when we only focus on, you know, the thing in front of us, we can't see like the whole field. And I think it was the same with the environment. Like the more people we know all over the world, the more people that we connect with in our um, in our community, like where we live, um, the more we learn and the more that we know about the world and about people, like the more we can respect and be like, okay, I should really be acting in this pro-environmental way because it's going to affect my neighbor. It's going to affect my best friend. It's going to affect my children and my parents. And like, yeah, it's a big thing. It is. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. That's, that's awesome. All right. We're going to take one more break and then we're going to be getting a little bit into more about relationships and empathy. Um, And then we're going to, you know, kind of conclude today. I'm going to do a little media update like I promised I would keep up with that. (laughs) All right. We'll be right back. Thank you for sticking around. We are going to finish up today talking a little bit about relationships and empathy, but I was just telling Erica how I am really grateful for her coming to this little like grungy like basement <laughs> apartment to record. Like it's, it's quite not it's not grungy at all, but okay. <laughs> Um, it's just, you know, I don't have like a professional like recording studio or anything. One day, one day maybe, you know, when I'm a professional. Um, but I know you've done a ton of interviews and actually we're here with some like science royalty because Erica was like featured on like BBC. Yeah. 
Um, that's pretty. That's pretty fucking cool. Thank you. <laughs> There's a lot of cursing in this episode. I'm. I should have given that at the beginning. I. I had a feeling there would be cursing. I'm a sailor, but... so I've lost all limits on my, <laughs> my language. I am not a sailor, and I just have no uh, filter. So I just. I, I don't know. It's just coming out of me. But um, I know you've done a ton of interviews, and I would love to hear where some of the most interesting or grungy places you've done them besides this basement. Are. Yes. <laughs> Well, it's hilarious. So I got a call today from WF- WSHU Radio. That's like Fordham NPR station. Oh, cool. And they had interviewed me a few weeks ago when uh-huh. I was sailing in Iceland studying whales and plastic pollution. Uh-huh. Um, they just randomly called me out of the blue. It was actually someone I went to grad school with. Um, he was an undergrad and he just kind of knew me in the journalism school. His name is JD. And he was really interested in having me on air because it was Earth Day. So it was like, ah. Earth Day special. Let's, let's get to talking. <coughs> and um, <laughs> I'm on a boat in Iceland and it had very sporadic email access because um, this boat was luxury. It was not the boat that we were pooping in a toilet for. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pooping, pooping in a bucket for, um, for three weeks. We had proper toilets and okay. we had even showers. Wow. Oh my goodness. That is luxury. But <laughs> given that, it was such rough seas i mean it was like people were puking all day long i was lucky i didn't get sick Uh uh-huh um i have pretty good sea legs but this interview was gonna happen and i was kind of like you know we don't really have like stable internet it's like kind of whenever there's a good satellite signal we get it Uh i can't guarantee you i'll be on air and i'm talking to like npr and i'm like (laughs) i'm really sorry but i'm on a sailboat and it just might not work out (laughs) and then and then the best part was I was on deck and someone screams, there's a sperm whale. And then like I run to the, the, the end of the deck and I'm like looking out over the bow and like sure enough, there's a big sperm whale just going breathing on the surface of the water. And I'm staring at it for like 45 minutes. And then suddenly I just hear like a dinging sound and it was my phone in my bunk saying, you have an interview to do right now. And it had been ringing for half an hour. And I ran down oh, into my bunk. No. And I and I finally, like, I saw that it was, it was so late and I was so upset. I was like, oh, no, I, I really blew them off. And this is NPR and that's really bad. <laughs> I called them and they were like, I had like 50 missed text messages. You know, where are you? Where are you? We're trying you on Skype. I called and I was just like, I'm really sorry. Uh, we had a sperm whale sighting, and uh, <laughs> I got a little carried away with my camera. Oh, my god! They were so understanding. Well, I mean, like, you were doing them a favor. You were gracing them with your presence. Well, <laughs> and then I sat on deck, like, watching the whale still, and refusing doing, to go inside the cabin, watching the whale so doing the <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, that's so cool. You anyway, live a life. You really do. It's interesting. <laughs> so... Um, we were talking earlier about how you have a Danish Danish boyfriend. He's he's Danish on paper, but he's half Danish, half Spanish. Danish, Spanish, yeah. yes. So what is it like for you, like, maintaining a relationship and also living this, like, life full of adventure and you're always doing something different? Like, how is maintaining a relationship, like, through all of that for you? It's interesting. Mm-hmm. I've always been very independent. Okay. I'm an independent woman. Yeah. Um, but, and my past relationships were way more flexible. I've been in a few open relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had, you know, my long-term relationships were often um, very free. So mm-hmm. I could kind of do what I wanted uh, in terms of travel. And also I was much younger. So there were a lot less obligations in life. So if mm-hmm. I was away for a while, it was like, whatever. Um, but now with my current boyfriend, he has a child. Mm-hmm. Um, so that also requires me to be a little bit more present and stable uh, figure, not only in his life, but in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're striking a balance because, you know, he has his kid things and I get involved in that. And then I have my travel things. And he's actually also a journalist, so he loves to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, so going forward, we've really been trying to um, travel together if possible. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, when his schedule permits. Um and then just knowing like that we really are kind of grounded and we respect each other and having that open line of communication has been really key um, and just making time. Yeah. Time to talk, time to, you know, connect, even if we are now 4,000 miles away. Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So is your, you said that you mentioned that he has a child. Is he older, uh, the same age as you, younger? 
My boyfriend is 40. He just turned 40 in uh, January. Yeah. (laughs) So how is that for you? Is that something like, do you um, usually date older? Like, is it just something that has happened? I'm laughing because (laughs) (laughs) is it something that just happened? (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, the first man that I fell in love with was twice my age. Uh Uh, I was 24 and he was 48. And it was a very different relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, Totally different dynamic. I was also... Uh, much less healthy in my mental health at the time. And I think I didn't really choose the right person. Of course, I loved him and he was a very special person in my life. He, you know, he'll always be special to me um, for certain reasons, but our relationship was very dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. Um, This time around, I am like really grateful that my current relationship is super functional. Um, And I've done also a lot of work, especially very recently in the past few months. Um, And I feel like it's just in a really good place. And despite the age gap, despite the cultural differences, um, we're able to relate in a very good way, a positive way. That's Um, wonderful. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And that's something that I haven't really talked about. I mean, like in talking about like sex positivity and like relationship positivity and, and, you know, I'm, I'm obviously very focused on that and preventing like future instances of violence. Um, we never really talk about age on, on this podcast. So I wanted to talk about, (laughs) yeah, I kind of wanted to talk about like, is, do you find that it's something you're connecting on like a maturity level because, like, do you feel like because men mature slower than women? Or do you think that's something that's just, like, a socialized thing that we've come to believe? Um, what is it about, like, dating an older man, I guess, that kind of suits you better, that you feel, like, more comfortable with? Oh, my gosh. I, I, it's so funny. Like, an older man. An older so man. <laughs> I would have to say, like, in a big way, I've really not loved the way technology has affected many males our age. Mm -hmm. And I see ghosting. I see gaslighting. And it's like the social media shaming and it's too much. And the old guys, like, they barely go on Facebook. And it's like, yes, or they're not on (laughs) Facebook. (laughs) Um, But no, I mean, it's a different culture and they have different values and it's not suited in this kind of like quick, fast paced instant gratification. They actually are like these old fashioned men that open the door for you. And like, that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not that old. I mean, they're like <laughs> my boyfriend's 13 years older than me. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but I do appreciate that. And I think also I am on a maturity level that matches much better with that than I was dating guys my age. And like, you know, they were flaky. They didn't want to commit. That was like really annoying to me because I like. I really care about people Mm -hmm. and no matter how, I don't know, briefly I've known you, Mm -hmm. I care about you as a person. And like, you know, there are people that I've sailed with that, like I would take the shirt off my back for. Um, and I just would hope that other people would do that for me. And then when I get these like shallow feelings from people, I get really turned off and I'm like, what is that? Like, and then it's like, do you just like me for sex? And that's seriously, I've been getting that vibe from a lot of guys um, also guys that I've had past relationships with who have hit me up recently and I'm like, Hey, I've have a, I have a boyfriend now and you haven't hit me up in years and this is the way it is. Like, I'm not interested, but if you're interested in being my friend, like I would love to meet up and have a coffee and talk to you. Yeah. Immediate ghost. Wow. And I'm like, I knew it. Wow. Like it's just, it's, uh, it's sad. It's like shitty. It's yeah. really shitty. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of it is like related to empathy. Yeah. Like, and I think you are such an empath, like in knowing you, like the first moment I met you, I could tell like <laughs> you care so much and you don't just have empathy for other humans. You have empathy for like animals and yeah. the environment. Like you are feeling so many feelings. I can like, I All can't even imagine how, yeah, I can't imagine like how overwhelming that must be sometimes. And it can be. Yeah. So like in talking about empathy, I guess, like how do you, do you, first of all, do you think like empathy is something that's learned or do you think it's something that you're born with? Oh my gosh. Well, I think it's learned mm-hmm. more than born with because, um, you know, in my family, I was the black sheep mm-hmm. and I often had to like relate to others that were outside of my family and relate to animals. Um, and it kind of put me, I wanted to be in their heads more than my own head because I was in a lot of pain mm-hmm. and it led me to really understand that like everyone has their own struggles and their own life going on. Um, so I think that we kind of develop it based on how we're raised. And I think 
empathetic people are often surrounded when they're very young by people who are not empathetic. Yes. Yep. Which is very interesting. Yeah. And yeah. it's hard. It's very hard. Um, I've always been an empath and it's, it's kind of hurt my mental health sometimes, yeah. like a lot actually, yeah. because I'll put other people's problems on my plate first before I kind of focus on my own. And I'll have these realizations kind of like what you were saying before is like, I realized like I was taking all my traumas from like my family and stuff and putting it into my relationship and I'll have those realizations, but it's hard as an empath Mm -hmm. because you're always putting the we before the me and it's, it's a struggle. It totally is. But I'm so happy to hear that you're in a healthy relationship and like you're making these like big strides and like realizing how you're like, family and stuff has like affected who you are today and your mental health today. And I've been doing a lot of the same stuff right here in Long Island. Uh, (laughs) It's awesome. It's like parallel Um, universe. It is. It totally is. It's very cool. Um, Okay. So kind of to conclude, I guess, what do you think, and I'm thinking back to like the Q and a section of your presentation last night when a woman was asking like, you know, like if you have like, if you have plastic, like, what's the best thing to do with yeah. it? And you were just like, don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, totally just Exactly. Like, I love that you were still, like, even the question coming up, and I think about, like, risk reduction. Mm. And I'm always thinking about, like, people are out there doing presentations on, like, here's how not to get raped. Right. When the real question is, like, how do we teach people not to, to rape? rape? Yeah. Like, it's such a clear question. Right. But it, like, made me think of that immediately. Exactly. So, like, thinking in, in terms of that, like, what do you think has to change for us to see a shift away um, from rape culture, but also, like, thinking about, like, environmental, like, degradation? Like, what do you think has to be going on to, like, really change? Empathy! <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. Like... empathizing can be a blessing and a curse and I honestly believe that the more we can put ourselves in other shoes and I think men I don't want to point point them out too Mm -hmm. much but (laughs) they can be very reluctant to put themselves in a woman's shoes Mm -hmm. to them that seems really weak because we're perceived as the weaker sex and it's like why is that um very strange but anyway like if we could also look into the eyes of animals and try to see out of them instead of just seeing the animal itself or our neighbors, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our partners, like just being more understanding, um, that could go a long way, I think. And then, you know, you would try to put yourself in their shoes. So uh, that guy like was catcalling me yesterday in the city, Mm -hmm. like if he could feel how I felt, which was like, first highly embarrassed actually mm-hmm. um which is something i think women are socialized to do when they get cat called because we're not really taught like how to react to that it's yeah. a really weird feeling yeah um especially if it's done in a way that's very aggressive and you're like oh like i don't want attention on me i'm not trying to have any attention and i'm just walking down the street um yeah if he could feel that like and yeah. understand like yeah, this it's is not okay feeling yeah. like that that feeling and i think like Men are so focused on like, oh, I would like it. Like when you ask a man, like, mm. how would it make you feel if you were cat? Oh, I would love that attention. Like, but no, you wouldn't because you don't know like the struggles that no. women face on a day to day basis, and not just women, like trans folks and non binary folks. Like the the constant like policing of right. bodies right. and like that is it's such it it does such damage on your mental health and so for yeah for you to say like you look hot like right. it can feel threatening yeah i don't so, like it so stop. like exactly <laughs> so just stop <laughs> but it's so incredible though because like my job is about um kind of providing a voice to beings that don't necessarily have a voice mm-hmm. that other people beings understand because humans are the ones who make all the big decisions on this planet and um yeah so if we can kind of give them a voice i think it's really useful um so my job is going around and kind of getting into their heads and trying to understand and not from a human point of view but like similarly we can try to get into you know another human's point of view um and we don't have to go through the same experiences like we'll never go through the experience of certain people because simply like those are very unique to their situation But if we can empathize and listen Mm -hmm. and observe very important skills and not just like project ourselves and what we think we would think, then we would really understand. I think that's where change will happen. Hell yeah. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) Such a good note to end on. Um, I was going to do this whole media bit, but all I'm going to say about my media bit is like, 
the abortion bans are whack as hell. Yeah. Um, and I just want to remind everyone that's posting about them that it, this is not just a women's issue. Everyone's like, women's rights, women's rights, which is great. Like, yes, women's rights. But this is a human issue. This does not just affect women. This affects trans folks. This, this affects non-binary folks. This affects men. This affects everyone. And this is a human right. It's a constitutional right that needs to be kept intact. Yes. And I am angry. I am an angry woman about this. You should be. <laughs> <laughs> and this directly impacts rape culture. It is like, again, the policing of women's bodies, the yes. policing of anyone that has a vagina, right. constant policing, and it is totally adding to the culture of rape culture. It is. And what I found like such a stunning like statistic or fact was now people who are trying to get abortions or clinicians who are trying to help individuals receive an abortion are being treated as worse criminals than people who are rapists. It's crazy. What is that saying? What is that saying about our society? Um, I also heard a bit of news that they want to change the law um, on the correct, like, lawful definition of consent. Um, I think it was somewhere in the South. Um, they want it to be that if you have initiated sex lawfully, you cannot take away that consent. You cannot change your mind. So wrong. So wrong. Like, once you're in, that's it. And that is just silencing so many, so many survivors, silencing so many people um, from from being able to kind of process their trauma and, and move forward. And right. it's really just, it's it's heartbreaking. So... There's a lot of sad news out there. I don't want to just end on that, like, really sad. No, I want to say be an active member of your society. If this is an issue that means a lot to you, do something about it. Yes. Reach out to a legislator. Um, go to a beach cleanup. Stop using plastic. Like, don't take home... like. Take home your food in your own containers instead of getting new plastic every time and then just putting it in your recycling bin because I think it's like 9% of, yes, right? 9% exactly. of plastics now that you recycle are actually being recycled. So find multi-purpose uses for those plastics. Don't buy them to begin with. Um, use recyclable bags. Do what you got to do. I love it. Preach it. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, um, we are going to finish up. Thank you so much, Erica. This has been such a joy and privilege to record with you. I'm so happy that we got You're to so do sweet. this. Thank you. All right. Have a good one, everyone. We'll let you guys prophesy. We gon' see the future first. Living so the last night feels like a past life. Speaking of the donor work out in the people, devil be possessor. Homies, demons try to body jump. Why you think I'm in this bitch when a fucking yarmulke? Acid on me like the frame. We crumbles in the glitter. Rain, glitter, we laid out on the sweat flow, away turf, no astro, mesmerize how the strobes glow, look at all the people feet dance, I know that your nigga came with you, but he ain't with you, we only human and it's humid in these ball mains, I mean my balls sticking to my jeans, we breathing pheromones, amber rose, sipping pink gold lemonades, feeling I may be younger, but I look after you. We're not in love, but I make love to you When you're not here, I'll say something for you I'm not him, but I mean something to you